Now, prepare your ear holes as we bring you another great podcast from the Poop Culture Extended Universe. Warning, the following program features content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Bocephus Broadcast. Greetings, boys and girls, and welcome to episode 57 of the Bocephus Broadcast. So great, so very, very, very great to be back in the basement with you for another week of shenanigans across the world wide web. Two months and four days since episode 56 aired, and uh, it feels like it's been a lot longer than that. Two months is uh, a hell of a long time when you're not able to uh, do something that you love. So for those of you without the benefit of the internet, and uh, those of you, I'm not sure how you would be listening to this otherwise, but in case you are, in case you don't have the internet, in case you don't have any contact outside of this podcast with me otherwise, here's a little bit of what I've been up to. Up until March of this year, uh, I've essentially been an illegal alien residing in Illinois to an extent. Uh, I am Missouri-raised, damn proud of it. However, living in uh, or having lived in Quincy, Illinois for the last several years, that's that's meant my vehicle insurance and my registrations for, you know, this, that and everything else. All that other jazz, they've been through Missouri. And since I essentially pay rent, I was, you know, I was still able to claim Missouri residency. And I know at this point you're thinking, what the hell is he talking about? Is he going to talk about where he's been? Well, this is how uh, where I have been all comes into play. OK, so Saturday. February 17th, with all my license and registration and all that stuff being uh, technically billed in Missouri, I went back to Memphis, my little tiny hometown, to get my vehicle inspected to uh, update my license plates. You have to uh, have a new sticker every year. I don't know if that's the same in every state. I assume it's very similar. Either way, in order to do that, you have to have in Missouri a vehicle inspection to make sure that everything's up to snuff. Your your lights work, your emissions are up to standard, etc., so on and so forth, right? So like I said, Saturday, February 17th, go back to Memphis to get my vehicle inspected so I can get my tags updated. So the uh, the, the place to get your vehicle inspected in Memphis now is located about five miles outside of Memphis in uh, the beautiful countryside at a place called Mayberry Farms Truck Accessories. You may have heard me talk about this place. They are my numero uno client when it comes to uh, doing commercial production been doing that for years and i'm very grateful for their business and grateful for all the people that are there so this was going to be an opportunity for me to get my vehicle inspected and chat with all the people in mayberries which is something to look forward to right beautiful day about 50 degrees partly sunny a great morning road trip to clear my mind i think i hit the road about uh 7 30 8 o'clock in the morning it's about an hour and 15 minutes of a drive to memphis from quincy so i'm bebopping along doing all right i got pulled over Actually, in a little town called uh, Whalen, Missouri, on the way to Memphis for going legitimately four miles an hour over the 35 mile per hour speed limit. But uh, the guy let me go. He was very nice about it. And the interesting part is I didn't have my insurance. I didn't have my updated insurance card like two days before my mother had sent me a photo of it, which they will typically accept if you show them a photo on your phone of your current registration card. So I got out of it. I was like, listen, I'm actually on the way today to get my vehicle inspected and pick up the new uh, physical copy of my insurance card. Well, anyway, I, I get the LeSabre inspected. I get to Memphis, get the LeSabre inspected. It passes, obviously, with flying colors because it's a Buick LeSabre. 
So I go to leave the place. I mentioned that on the way there, it was about 50 degrees and partly sunny. So when I go to leave Mayberry's, the snow had begun to fall because we have had the most bipolar last six months of probably all time, as far as weather is concerned. We're talking big, thick flakes that look like they're, you know, falling off your grandfather's head. It's like the garçon has come by with the uh, the, the freshly ground Parmesan and he's placing it on yourself. That's what it looks like. So... I think nothing of it, despite it, you know, falling about 20 degrees in that time frame that I'd been there, because I was there for about probably an hour just kind of shooting the breeze or whatnot. So I didn't think anything of it. And I, you know, typically I, I pride myself on being a pretty good driver, you know, so I, I took off cautiously. I was minding, minding my P's and Q's as far as driving is concerned, and I, I head back to town, back to Memphis. So a few hundred yards outside the city limits proper, Right before you get to the uh, school bus shed in my high school girlfriend's house, there's a curve in the road and a bridge, which I learned soon after the bridge has been uh, reduced to one lane because of the amount of accidents it's caused or have happened near or on it. So I'm approaching that curve in the road and that bridge is just beyond it. Not not thinking too much of it. So I didn't realize it had gotten just a, a touch slicker than I had anticipated. Because, like I said, it had been 50 degrees and partly sunny. So the car starts drifting to the left. And I kind of panicked a little bit, but I, I kept it uh, under control. We got it fairly straightened back out. And I think, okay, okay, we're doing all right. That was a little scary. Sphincter's a little tighter than it was a couple of seconds ago. But we're good. We're okay. Should be in the clear. Going about 30 to 35. All right, we'll slow it down. We'll just be a little more cautious as we make our way back to town. Wrong. The car starts drifting hard to the right. So if this were a ditch, okay, I'm prepared to hit the ditch if I have to, because the, the ditches otherwise, especially on the right side of the road where I'm at, aren't that deep. Well, that's not the case here. Ahead of me is is that bridge, that old ass, terrifying bridge. And below it, about a 10 to 15 feet drop. And sure enough, I'm not about to take a small ditch. I'm about to go balls deep into that ravine. So the car is, at this point, it's fully out of my control. And I'm I'm pumping slash standing as much as I can on the brakes, hoping to everything holy that, that I can get this car to come to a stop before I, I pull a full, you know, Thelma and Louise. It ain't happening. Not going to happen. At this point, my arms are fully locked out. My back is pressed firmly into the uh, leather wrapped luxurious comfort of the 2004 Buick Sabre Limited with GM's critically acclaimed 3800 V6 engine. And I am uttering... Just about every swear word known to man as I careen off the approach of this bridge. And I'm pretty sure I said shit more times uh, than I've ever said in, in probably the last six months to 12 months. So I am fully uh, bodily erect. Just shit, 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 shit. Eyes closed. Uh, just thinking that's this is it. This is going to probably be a hell of a ride. So evidently, on the way down, I managed to not only take out a road sign... Also missed the carcass of a dead deer, and I managed to land the car just so perfectly that it made the tow truck driver uh, earn his paycheck, not only for that day, but probably for the entire week. And uh, from what I've been told, I did indeed take a hell of a ride. I remember sliding off the side of the road, and that's honestly about it. Like, I have I have recollections of that. all. It's, it's like time completely slowed down, and I was taken, you know, uh, to somewhere else. Mentally, I, like, I don't think I passed out. I might have blacked out. I, I don't know what happened. I remember starting to go off 
down into the uh, the creek area. But other than that, it was all kind of a blur. Like I said, I don't think I lost consciousness. I didn't have a concussion or anything like that. I do remember a lot of loud uh, crunching and crashing. The next thing I knew, something smelled like it was on fire. There was an airbag in my lap. The other airbag in the passenger seat was deployed. And my back was in like the worst pain that I've probably ever felt uh, in my life at this point. It felt like it was on fire. And it hurt. Like bending down to not only find... But uh, pick off the f- pick up the phone on the floorboard. It was excruciating, but luckily I was able to do it. And the first call, obviously, was was to my mother, which is a call I'd, I'd have rather not made, you know, due to the uh, top tier anxiety that courses through my family tree, like drugs through the uh, U.S. Mexican border. But I got the call into mom, and like I said, it's it's a call that I'd have rather not made due to the fact that I never want to worry or terrify this woman more so than I have to. But let me tell you. Let me tell you something about this this point in the situation, though. Let me tell you why I love my hometown. Let me tell you what's special about Memphis, Missouri. Fate was on my side that day. Somebody was was watching over me. Whatever you believe in, uh, if it's a higher power, luck, you know, fate. Like I said, what it, whatever you believe in was in full effect that morning. Across that bridge, before this whole accident happened, sat a couple of folks who either fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you wish to look at it, watch this all unfold. Watch me go from left to right to disappearing uh, beneath that bridge. And those folks were Randy and Tanya Harrison. Now, Randy and Tanya used to own a business where a Dollar General now stands just behind Memphis's uh, historic landmark restaurant, Keith's Cafe, which you need to go to the first chance you get if you've not already done so. So the place that, that Randy and Tanya owned was called Race Mart, and they sold um, parts for stock cars, and I think regular vehicles as well. I don't, I don't exactly remember. And if I recall correctly, they also helped build uh, or built stock cars there. And I remember going in there as a kid with my dad, you know, barely able to, to look over the counter, but, but being in awe of these, these beasts that they were building in the back. So the minute I was able to get the door of the car open... And kind of swing my legs out. I hear Randy tell me, don't move, not to move, which was probably the best advice I could have received at that point. Because up to this point, the, the condition of my back was less than ideal. And below me sat a creek that appeared to have a layer of ice, but it may not have been incredibly sturdy beneath that top sheet. So if I'd have you know gotten out of the car and stood up, A, I'd have looked like Bambi, and B, I could have fallen and, and made a lot worse situation out of a situation that was already not great to begin with. So I started to remember the techniques from the Lamaze classes that I've never taken. And and I kept my breathing as steady as possible, like patterned, you know what I mean? To make it feel like I was like I was at least alleviating the pain that was in my lower back, you know, temporarily. I felt a little better doing the whole breathing exercise thing. So eventually this whole situation kind of turned into a uh, uh, hey, how you doing? Reunion of sorts. So Randy was kind of standing at the top of the hill and his wife was, was shortly behind him kind of helping uh, direct traffic because obviously I had caused a, a little bit of a traffic backup or something like that. So Randy's standing at the top. He, he asked me my name and I, I said, I'm Bo Beecraft and you're Randy Harrison. It was just like the, uh, just like, it's like the Forrest Gump clip, you know, when he gets on the bus and he meets his bus driver. I'm Forrest, Forrest Gump. I'm Dorothy Harris. Well, now we ain't strangers anymore. 
damn near just like that. So Randy says, you know, I didn't recognize you with the shaved head and the beard. So obviously I've been away from Memphis for far too long. But shortly after, again, as fate or luck or whatever you want to call it would have it, my cousin appears at the top of the hill at the corner of the bridge, too. And she yells to see if I'm okay. And I look up and, you know, likely looking like uh, the baby is crowning at this point. I I wince and exhale and I I muster out. It's me, Phoebe. So Phoebe and Sean, who are my cousins, uh, had been en route to the uh, their family farm, a legitimate mere mile or less away from where this had all gone down. So Phoebe actually got me my job as a dispatcher at the Scotland County Sheriff's Department, where she was kind of the head honcho of the dispatchers at the time. So she knew who to call uh, at that point, which, again, is a, a stroke of luck for me, who's down in this creek looking like he's about to give birth on the side of a Buick LeSabre. Next, down the hill slides Brian Whitney, who is the sheriff's deputy and one of my favorite people that I worked with uh, at the sheriff's department. Brian makes his way all the way down the hill. He's the first person down there to, you know, make sure that or at least check, you know, to see what kind of condition I'm in. So, again, it's this, you know, continued social mixer with with injury undertones at this point. So it's great to see all these people. Granted, I'd much rather see them under different circumstances. But at this point, if I recall correctly, uh, the ambulance has arrived also to the the soundtrack of more sirens in the distance. And this is the point where, where I tell you why I love Brian Whitney and loved working with Brian Whitney. One of the uh, first paramedics, I believe, hollers down, is there any way that he can walk up the hill? Keep in mind, this is 10 to 15 feet down. I'm, you know, there's nothing but uh, probably... 10 feet across of ice in front of me. So they ask if I can walk up this hill. And this is, like I said, why I love Brian Whitney. He, he yells back up the hill. No, his back is fucked. <laughs> and uh, immediately after, he turns to me and he says, I'm sorry. Sorry, I had to say that. Sorry, I had to cuss. But that's the only way that they'll understand. Classic. So now these medics and uh, first responders are, are tasked with coming down this hill, 10 to 15 feet below this bridge, crossing the ice and trying to maneuver a 6'3", 230 pound man out of a vehicle without further injuring uh, an as yet undiagnosed back injury. So on top of that, they're going to have to figure out how to stabilize me on that, that plastic gurney thing on the backboard. And then they're going to have to figure out how to keep their footing on the ice, of which they're not sure the thickness or the stability, and then get me up this hill that's also covered in brush and snow. So they got to do all this before they can even think about getting me into the ambulance. And again, more familiar faces from Memphis are starting to show up as these big ass flakes of snow continue to fall and the temperature continues to drop. So at this point there there are tears. I'm, I'm starting to get tears because largely, you know, due to the pain, but I think in reality I started crying because I'm so so grateful for the uh, the people that make up my hometown, and I was so grateful that my life was in the hands of these people that uh, that I've known since I could I could walk and talk, and I don't uh, I don't remember, nor could I see everybody that was involved in the process of of getting me out of this freaking ditch. But uh, I am beyond grateful and uh, forever indebted to all those folks. And eventually, they uh, eventually got me out. They got me up the hill with with what I'm sure was a lot of trying, because at that point I'd kind of closed my eyes and let my mind wander off to uh, some some other place that wasn't there. Um, and they got me to the ambulance. And the, the interesting thing here is that I know where I am 
location-wise in relation to the hospital. Memphis is not a large town, so I know that I'm a short distance away from, uh, A, warmth, for one, because I'm freezing my ass off at that point, and hopefully some sort of gigantic-ass painkiller. But I felt like I was in that ambulance forever. Forever. So they're hooking me up to all the, the vital reader things and this and that, and, and like anxiety... In my family, bad veins are also a large part of the lineage. So it took at least a couple tries in the ambulance to get me hooked up to the uh, the IV. So once they get there, everything's got to go. And I'm talking about clothes. Now I'm wearing, as luck would have it, possibly my favorite flannel shirt. My boots, which are my casual footwear of choice. My Carhartt coat. And a pair of jeans that, uh, despite being you know moderately high waters these days, are well-worn. They're comfortable. They're broken in. But it's all got to go. So one of the medics, you know, uh, carefully removes the laces from my boots and, and reminds, you know, one of the other ones reminds me, you know, you got to be careful. We don't know what kind of shape this guy's in. Uh, so be careful when you take the laces out and take the boots off. So the other one starts cutting my clothes off. Some of my favorite clothes just just sliced up. And the worst part is the the insult to the injury as far as this point is concerned is that they're not shredded. They didn't, you know, just go all willy-nilly with the scissors to get these. They've got to be delicate, a steady hand. It's imperative to these medics at this point because they don't know the extent of my injuries. So, like I said, insult to injuries that these clothes, these clothes are not cut to shreds. They're neatly cut. It's heartbreaking. They're neatly... I would be different if they had to shred these off. It looked like they took a steel chainsaw to them, but no, these are like uh, calculated, nice, straight cuts of some of my favorite clothes devastating so now i'm essentially naked save for my underwear which luckily they're clean i showered that morning shower every morning just in case you're wondering i'm not a disgusting filthy bag of dirt fairly hygienic so anyway i'm I'm, you know laying in my underwear in the back of an ambulance which isn't much warmer than the 20 to 30 minutes i'd spend sitting on the edge of the car seat waiting or waiting for them to uh, figure out the exit strategy for me my toes are freezing and uh now on top of that they're they're using my nipples to shape diamonds. Now here comes the part where I know that if I would ever become addicted to drugs, I would be the type to go big or go home. If I, if I needed something to take the pain out, uh, it would it would take a lot. So the ambulance lady, she gives me, uh, I think it was called Toradol, which from what I understand is supposed to you know work to relieve the pain. So she stuck uh, X amount of that in my arm. I don't remember how much, but. Uh, keep in mind my veins, right? Keep that in mind. So anyway, flash forward a bit, and we're we're finally on the way to the hospital in Memphis, which again is a short drive away. We're talking probably less than two miles, if that, but it felt like it took an hour. And the ambulance lady warns me that the ride could be a bit bumpy, and she apologizes in advance for that. And the first thing I'm thinking is that big dip. There's a big dip at the intersections of Highway 15 and Sigler Avenue, and I know that one is going to hurt, and I was right Felt every bit of that one. So this Toradol crap, right? It's not working. It is not working by the time that we're at what feels like the one hour mark of the ambulance ride to the hospital. And it turns out that the IV didn't take because, like I said, my veins are they're just an absolute dumpster fire. Anyway, we finally get to the hospital after what feels like three hours. And by now, uh, evidently, my entire family has received word that, that I've managed to call can float the wagon uh, just outside the city limits to no avail. And they're all waiting out in the ER waiting room. And at this point, I only want two people. I'm so glad my family is there, but I only want two people. I want my mom and I want Emily. 
who was an hour and a half away in Quincy at work. And I don't know how quickly she got the phone call after it happened, but I would assume very, very shortly after uh, I was able to get a hold of my mom when I was, you know, writhing around in pain in the ditch. Anyway, uh, it was a relief. It was a relief because my, my mom is one of the first people there. My sister is with her as the second. And that right there was was a great substitute for the Toradol that had either worn off or never taken from the get-go because of the shitty veins. So that was a relief. But by now, I, I've been at the hospital for about 10 minutes, and I've pretty much run them out of warm blankets to wrap around my feet, which luckily uh, hadn't been toe-tagged to that point. I was still alive, still kicking. Let me tell you something, though. Those warm blankets, though, they were the equivalent of, of comfort food and or a, a very powerful orgasm. But anyway, so now looking looking back, uh, they they somehow got X-rays and I believe a CAT scan of me. I don't really remember that part of the uh, the the ER arrival, but um, that's evidently it happened. So anyway, the nurse practitioner comes back in uh, after a while and she uh, informs us that I've broken my L1 and my L2 vertebra, which are in my lower back, just beneath. Uh, that beautiful tramp stamp I got of a phoenix rising out of a bag of of Werther's original. Now, I don't want a dog on my hometown hospital at all, but they they don't always have a sterling reputation. And I knew that I knew they were at least correct that my back was broken. I would have I would have believed that. However, their plan of attack was essentially to let me walk out of the hospital under my own crippled ass power or lack thereof. They said there wasn't really a whole lot they could do. They could send me home with some pain meds and kind of a, a plan of attack to follow until I healed. But that was pretty much it. They were going to they were going to get me up out of the bed and let me walk away from this broken back. I wasn't comfortable with that because I, I knew what kind of pain I was in. My mom wasn't comfortable with that. My sister wasn't comfortable with that. My father's girlfriend, who has been in the healthcare industry for a good while and had also arrived by that point, she was also not comfortable with that. So my brother-in-law who I believe was referred to in the emergency room as Stone Cold Cole Tippett. Stone Cold is beat the hell out of ECW and WCW! My brother-in-law is a godsend. He is the type of guy that will not take one iota of shit from anyone, anywhere, at any time. He was also not comfortable with this plan to let me walk out under my own power. And I had also requested at that point that he be there to keep everybody in line, especially when it came to dealing with uh, insurance people. So once he got there, we uh, the decision was made to transport me to Columbia, Missouri for a second opinion, which Columbia is, is anywhere from two to three hours, depending on how you drive. So shortly after that, Emily and her mom, uh, they arrived, which became this, this other wave of relief. But it was short-lived because Emily started crying, so I started crying, and then everybody was like, I'm not crying, you're crying, and then we were all bawling, and they had to evacuate the ER because we had flooded the place with tears. It's ridiculous. Regardless, it was a relief because, uh, you know, everybody that I wanted in the room with me was there and everybody else was just outside in the hallway. And that's that's how you know that you've got it good, folks. The fact that my family, even my aunt from from 30 minutes away, had dropped everything just to be there, just to make sure I was OK is another reason that I got uh, I still I still get choked up uh, reliving this whole thing, you know, this whole day, two months later. So. So, uh, yeah, lucky guy, lucky, lucky, lucky man. So up to this point, uh, I'd been lying on this gurney for about three hours. I'm restless. I'm hurting. And I can honestly go for a few beers. So if they could just, you know, mainline that 
uh, into the IVs that aren't working for me. That'd be great. So anyway, we finally get the ball rolling and they, they load me back into the ambulance to head off to Columbia to the university hospital. By now, they've started a new IV, which I believe finally took. Third time's a charm, right? Because at one point, I'm pretty sure I felt uh, the saline or whatever it was leaking out of my arm, which is kind of gross in hindsight. I say that out loud. Anyway, so I think they gave me another dose of Toradol and maybe I'm pretty sure they even upped it before we left so that I wouldn't have to endure a whole lot of pain during the ride because the roads between Memphis and Columbia, if I recall correctly, are not that great, which is fine. But when you've got a broken back and you're incredibly, uh, when you're a lot of pain, it's you know not going to be ideal. So I was actually drowsy enough from all the, the hustle and bustle of the day to that point that I got some sleep on the way down. And they'd also swaddled me like a like a newborn burrito. So I was in like this little cocoon of comfort, which was nice because my feet were still freezing and they had wrapped about two more warm blankets around me. And then they wrap you in this little uh, kind of like a body bag, which is kind of morbid. But uh, anyway, so I'm in this burrito. I'm swaddled. And I woke up midway through the ride because I was burning alive because of all the blankets and the little body bag. And on top of that, I was nauseous. So this immediately sends me in the mode of thinking, well, how the hell am I going to throw up without breaking more pieces in my back? And more importantly, how am I going to throw up since I'm strapped down to this backboard and my neck is braced in place? I can't roll over. I can't sit up. So how the hell am I going to barf? Right? How am I, how am I going to throw up? When I'm all strapped in place. So finally, I asked the ambulance lady, whose name I should know by now, but I still don't. I can't recall it. Maybe it's Linda. I don't know. Linda sounds familiar. Anyway, I, I turned to, we'll call her Linda. I turned to Linda and I say, Linda, can you, can you unwrap me so I don't burn alive? Because I'm, I'm burning alive here. And I also, do you have anything for nausea so I don't puke myself to paralysis? So anyway, she opens up this transport bag and I suddenly, I feel like this, Freshly sliced tauntaun, you know, welcoming any and all stranded Jedi into my cavern of safety and heat. Hang on, kid. It was uh, very relieving. So then she gave me something for nausea, and then both medics had to stop and pee, like right outside of Columbia. I was like, you couldn't have waited, really? Like we're we're so close. Anyway, so I'm left with the driver. This guy who uh, has this really killer mustache. So I'm left with that guy. I'm left with him while the while the gal that's tending to me otherwise is inside taking a leak and getting some coordinates or something. So he starts talking to me about these PA speakers that he bought to DJ his daughter's high school dance or something like that. And I'm not looking to small talk right now. I want to get to Columbia. I want to get some sort of progress made because I've been strapped down and immobile for the better part of like five hours or so by now. So finally, old girl returns and we're, we're back and route to the hospital for the next, you know, five miles or whatever the hell it was. So, um, oh, did I, did I mention that, uh, the dude with the mustache that was talking to me about the PA speakers initially, he had to shave parts of my chest to attach those little sticky vital things. So on top of having all my clothes cut off of me and subsequently ruined, now I look like Steve Carell in the, the 40 year old virgin waxing scene. Ooh, you know what guys? This is not a good look for me! You look like a man-o'-lantern. So we finally get to Columbia. They wheel my crippled ass out and into the ER or wherever it was. And immediately I'm greeted by a team of about six to eight people. And I think in Memphis I saw in total, and not all at once, four people. 
So there's this team of of people immediately waiting for me. Like uh, Noah Wiley was there. George Clooney was there. And they all welcomed me like Steve Perry with open arms into the University of Columbia Hospital. So again, they wrangled me off the stretcher thing and onto another table, which is, again, something that they did at the, uh, the, the hospital in Memphis, too. So I'm getting, you know, wallered around by all these different people. Most of these people, though, at Columbia, they're young women. So they're not screwing around and they're working uh, as a team to finagle this 230-pound grizzly bear around. Genuinely impressed and appreciative of those ladies. They should all be WWE women's champions before their careers are over incredible strength i don't remember i don't remember what they did here but it was quick and and for the most part painless but from there i'm pretty sure that they took me uh for a cat scan or an mri or or maybe both of those but they they put me through the ringer more or less they did more in the first 15 minutes i was in columbia than they did in memphis so like i said teams of people not just a couple of folks teams of people which immediately made me feel like i was in great hands and they were all nice folks too they're they're wheeling this half-naked uh, man lantern around the hospital, getting all the vitals and taking all the uh, inside photos and whatnot. I'd rate the experience at five stars, in all honesty. I felt like that was the point in the day. I, I felt, okay, I'm good here. I can, I can relax a little bit here. So eventually, they get me into a room of my own, and they get me into one of those uh, hospital-grade craftmatic model two adjustable beds and it's heaven because i don't have that plywood strapped to my back anymore and my neck is is uh free to roam as a southwest customer and even better is the fact that they've got captain america the winter soldier it's on fx so i kind of in a sense feel like i'm home i'm, I'm at this certain level of comfort finally and i and i forgot the uh, toradol had not been working on the way there so i mentioned that when i was wheeled into the care of those six great ladies and they came back with something called Dilaudid which immediately made me feel like they shot helium into my body. Euphoria, pain-free, my entire body filled with warmth. Incredible. So anyway, I'm kind of settled into the, the room now, and I'm enjoying Captain America high off my ass, like a lot of other people did in the theater. So there are, again, teams of people in and out of this room, checking different things, checking my vitals. One of them put uh, put jelly on my tummy, was checking to see if I had any organs that had been damaged or if I was pregnant, which is definitely something they didn't do at the previous hospital. So in all, this team at Columbia is thorough, as the kids would say, AF. Thorough AF. I was an Allstate customer at this point. Are you in good hands? And then shortly thereafter, the family gets there. Emily's there. Mom is there. Sister's there. Uh, Stone Cold Cole Tippett, my brother-in-law, the number ones, the people that I want there, the people that 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 uh, that I don't want anybody. Well, I mean, I'd welcome anybody else, but these are the people that I want there. My, my numero uno. So at some point, this gal came in and she had to wheel me away somewhere for something, right? And such was the case kind of throughout the night. But she had the audacity to say to me, this young woman, she said, please don't judge my driving. And I simply responded, as long as you don't judge mine. Because I'm not sure if she realized I had totaled a 2004 LeSabre early in the day or not. So for her to, to ask me not to judge her driving is absurd. It's asinine. So anyway, I think she wheeled me off to get more x-rays. So she wheels me into the x-ray room and these two young gals were in charge of getting those for me. And at this point, I had been lying uh, supine for about 12 hours, lying down for 12 hours. And I still had nothing on but my underwear. And to my knowledge, they were still clean. No accidents had happened uh, between, you know, time of the accident by the time that I had gotten there up to this point. 
So these two gals were, were kind enough to get me one of those uh, very fashionable, very fashionable hospital gowns so I didn't have to stand near nude in their presence. So I got that thing on. They helped kind of wrangle me up to a seated position, which felt like absolute dog shit. But they got me up. They uh, maneuvered me to the x-ray area. They got the photos taken really quickly. And then it hit me. I was going to yak. I was going to barf. I was finally going to puke. Took all day, but I was finally going to upchuck. This was it. This was the moment that I had been dreading since the ambulance ride. Everything that I hadn't eaten that day was going to come spewing forth and onto the floor. So I'd, I'd eaten pretty much next to nothing. I had like a breakfast sandwich or breakfast croissant that morning, and that was it. So if I was going to puke, it was largely going to be dry heaving, which was going to be even worse because I'm thinking excruciating pain is is uh, on its way. So I, again, remembered my lack of Lamaze training and, and began breathing exercises to try to cut this thing off at the pass. But I told these girls, I was like, I'm going to throw up. I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to puke. So one of the nurses rushes over to a counter. She grabs a puke pan and I kind of sat there on the edge of the bed, apologizing to both of them and and praying to the powers to be that uh, throwing up wasn't going to hurt as bad as I'd anticipated. But eventually it came to pass. I did all right. Didn't throw up. I apologized for the holdup. I said, okay, ladies, go ahead and and proceed with your your x-rays. Get what you need to get. Well, it turns out they'd already had them done. So in the short amount of time that I was standing on my feet, they had taken all the x-rays that they had needed to take. So they were essentially just, they were waiting on me to throw up before they wheeled me back to the room, which is very sweet of them. Very nice of them. So anyway, they got me situated. They they tossed a, a cold, cold rag across my forehead, which was incredible. That felt amazing. They got me back to my viewing of uh, Cap and Bucky. And then the doctor came in a little short while later, pretty much re- reconfirmed the stuff about my back being broken and whatnot. But he also said they wanted to keep me overnight to monitor everything they uh, they wanted to fit me with a back brace, had me meet with physical and occupational therapy in the morning to make sure I was good to go. Again, this provided me way more comfort than the previous place wanting to give me uh, give me the rusted root treatment and send me on my way. So a little while later, these uh, these fellows come in and they like like everybody else, they finagle my big crippled ass around and put what looks like uh, Steve Austin's knee brace around my upper torso, and then they strap me into it. And the guy that fitted me into this thing is named Michael Jackson. Not even kidding. Michael Jackson put a back brace on me. So they get that done. They pump me with another round of Dilaudid, which is officially my opioid of choice at this point uh, for the pain. And the uh, the family hung out with me the rest of the evening before they, they snagged a hotel nearby. Now, my nephew, who is uh, six years old, he was upset at this point because he wasn't going to get to sleep with Emily. Since uh, Emily was was going to stay with with me in the hospital and not go stay in the hotel with the family, but you know it is what it is. Somebody with a tolerance was going to have to stay with me through the night because I'm a giant wuss. So I slept fairly well throughout the night. And Emily was right by my side in that uh, I don't know between comfortable and completely not comfortable chair that was you know in most hotel rooms. Anyway, she was right there across from me. She woke up uh, throughout the night to make sure I was I was still hanging in there. So the next morning. They kind of ran me through the ringer again. They were very thorough, checking all the vitals, doing the ultrasounds, this and that. And then the the, uh, occupational and physical therapist gals came by. They gave me the rundown. They got me up out of bed, which was probably um, one of the worst feelings that I've ever had in 29 years. Probably the worst pain that I've ever experienced in my life. Something 
something as simple, something you take for granted, something as simple as getting out of bed took about five minutes and was absolutely painstaking. But I did it with plenty of help. But they got me a walker, which unfortunately was missing the uh, the uh, 22-inch tennis balls on the bottom that are spinners. More importantly, they got me my first big score of the weekend. They got me those uh, fuzzy hospital issue gripper socks, which are always, they feel like you've owned them forever. They're already broken in when you get them. The most comfortable things you'll ever wear in your life. So they get me those, they get me up out of bed, they get me situated, they uh, get me kind of acquainted with the walker, and I took a stroll down the hallway. First time I had walked in roughly over 24 hours. I took a stroll down the hallway, managed to climb a couple steps, go back down them, I mean, it wasn't, it was definitely baby steps, but uh, I took them and it felt, I mean, as good as it could to that point, you know. So they got me uh, all prepped for release from the hospital and how to get back kind of into the swing of daily living when I got back to the comfort of home. Oh, and I also forgot to mention uh, peeing. Peeing was a hell of a task. They gave me the old plastic hog sleeve when I got to Columbia and I asked the nurse at the time, you know, how do I, when, when I'm ready, how do I pee? Because at this point, I haven't peed since uh, the morning of Saturday. And by the time I've got to pee, it's it's Saturday after I'd gotten to Columbia. So it's Saturday, uh, late afternoon, early evening. So the nurse at the time, she said, well, you just, you know, just ring the buzzer and we'll some, we'll gladly come. I'll, I'll help you out. Okay. I'll help you pee when you're... So for a guy who doesn't like to take a leak in a public restroom, that's not what I want to be told, you know. I want to know how, despite being bedridden, I can still independently take a pee without having someone handle my junk, right? So I just kind of hold on to this pee sleeve for a while, and I'm trying to rack my brain about, well, how do I, you know, I'm, I'm laying down, I can't really move. Like, how do I, how am I supposed to pee when I got to pee? So eventually the shift change happened, uh, and my new nurse for the overnight was a gentleman, young gentleman, and it was convenient because when he started his shift... I had to finally pee and I wasn't going to be able to handle it any longer. So I told him, I'm like, man, I got to pee and I'm not comfortable with having somebody, you know, handle the business for me. And uh, luckily he said, you know, just kind of get it out, situate it, put it in the in the thing and just let it happen. So that's all I needed to hear. I finally managed to uh, <clears throat> situate it and took about a 30 minute piss. Peed so long that I thought I was going to have to top that one off and then and then call the nurse to get a second gallon to uh, completely get the job done. Luckily, it stopped before I had to hit the call button. So now next to my bed is a hog sleeve of fresh juice ready to uh, meet Emily and, and the rest of the family when they get back from grabbing some dinner. Nightcap, anybody? So from that point on, everybody had to leave the room and the privacy curtain had to be drawn when I had to pee. You know, But it was it was definitely better than holding it in uh, and or or pissing my lack of clothing. So that was the uh, peeing part of this journey. Anyway, they finally came in to, to give me the release Sunday morning, the day after all this, what seemed like a week from the wreck to this point. They uh, pumped me full of Dilaudid one last time to get me through this, this three-hour trip back home to Quincy. They wheeled me through the hospital in this baller-ass wheelchair, and I got into Mom's uh, Chevy Traverse or whatever it is which was a bit trying. It's a bit bit nerve-wracking honestly to get into a vehicle again after that. But fortunately, I was able to uh, I was drowsy enough I was able to sleep for like the 3-hour ride home and it was great to finally get home, but it was like learning how to live all over again. I I honestly probably would have rather gone to an assisted living facility with all the old folks so I could have at least gotten up and and played cards and you know, had a 
had a, an attendant, you know, take care of me. So Emily wouldn't have to be taken care. Of. I didn't want, I didn't want Emily to have to take care of me. I didn't want my mom to have to take care of me, but they did because they are the greatest women to walk planet earth. But anyway, one of the first things I wanted to do when I got home was just go to bed. I wanted to go lay down in my own bed and be comfortable. So you got to do what they call the log roll technique to get in and out of bed, which became incredibly frustrating and was cause for several tears and a lot of frustration for the first couple of days. So like I said, the, the tears were not only due to the immense pain, but also because by the time that I had log rolled my ass into bed, I was crooked and uncomfortable. So I'm laying diagonally on this bed after I've done all this this work to try to just lay down. And then I'm, you know, I'm in my own bed, I'm home, and I'm uncomfortable because I got this brace on me, which which couldn't really be removed. So, you know, I'm crooked and I gotta sleep on my back. And I am not absolutely not a back sleeper. I am every position but a back sleeper. So this was going to be a very trying six weeks. And six weeks was the time frame they gave me uh, before I would have my follow-up appointment and hopefully be, you know, in the clear. So I got six weeks of having to sleep on my back for a guy that doesn't sleep on his back. Thankfully, they sent me home with a small pharmacy of muscle relaxers and Percocet. Those things exist. And I'm definitely very grateful that they do. And I'm grateful that uh, they sent me home with them. But the thing that sucks about all of this is not, it's not the broken back or the pain. I mean, don't get me wrong. Those, those both suck beyond belief. But the most frustrating part of all of this was the loss of independence. You need help to get in and out of bed, to get comfortable, to go to the bathroom. Somebody has to be right behind you when you take two steps. I mean, eventually someone's going to have to help me give me a bath or a shower Eventually, some sort of system is going to have to be in place for me wiping my ass, which is probably the worst of all. But again, my family came in clutch here. They they brought me one of those uh, crapper chairs. You know, the it's like a it's like an elevated toilet seat. It's got legs and arms on the side of it. It's it's like a camping chair, but it's got a, a pooper seat on it, right? So they brought me one of those, and they also brought me a shower chair, which was a bridge I wasn't uh, quite ready to cross yet, for lack of a better analogy, but I knew I would be at some point. So th- my family completely prepared me for uh, equally the loss of independence, but also the road back to recovery. They helped me in, in trying to get back to that point of you know uh, comfortable everyday living. So again, grateful and very lucky to have such a great family. But anyway, this this potty chair, right? The toilet seat with the arms and legs. I've not had any prior experience with these types of things. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about pooping. We all poop. I've come to accept that. Yes, even the ladies, the ladies poop. But my mother, who also poops, my mother was concerned about me eating and pooping, right? Like almost ad nauseum. Love her to death, but she was super concerned about me eating and pooping. I hadn't eaten anything uh, aside from breakfast, the morning of the accident, until shortly before being discharged from the hospital at noon on Sunday. And it wasn't much, you know, even to that point, like that small breakfast sandwich or whatever I talked about. So I really didn't need to poop and I wasn't hungry. But they did give me this vial of stool softeners to help with that eventual fecal transaction because they, you know, they'd pump me so full of other stuff that, that my poop would be like a stalactite when it finally decided to uh, make an exit. So like I said, I've had no prior encounters with these these potty chair things so the seat itself in in uh observing this modern marvel of engineering the seat itself looks to be about the same size as your standard toilet seat so i'm thinking okay this is this is going to be fine 
It's like uh, nicotine beige in color, if I'm correct. But anyway, this particular potty chair model, few years old, and by a few, I'm going to say I'm going to carbon date it to about 1990, up to as recently as maybe the turn of the century. But it was free, and that's what counts. Aesthetics, not important at this point. Functionality over fashion. So here's the thing, though. By the time I'm ready to void the old sewage plant, I, I, I go to sit down on this thing. The day has finally come. I think it was like Monday or Tuesday by the time that I was ready to take a poop. So getting ready for any type of voiding of, of bodily stuff, I've got to use uh, this hospital issue grabber thing, the gopher grabber thing, you know, like the lazy reacher deal with the clamp on the end of it and the trigger. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't, just Google it. You'll find what I'm talking about. So to prepare for any type of bodily function, I've got to finagle my pants and my underwear down using this this grabber thing. Now, I could have my mother or Emily do it, but I'm not about to give up that, you know, free. I... I my hands can at least get the waistbands down below the waist, and I can kind of figure it out from there, right? So I finally managed to get my pants down. I sit down on this potty chair, and it's cold, and I'm terrified that my weight is going to send me crashing through it. You know, I'm going to hit the I'm going to hit the actual toilet with my lower back, crashing through the potty chair, and I'm going to further break my back. I'll end up on the floor, pants around my ankles, probably dead or paralyzed, right? Well, it didn't happen. It held up. It supported my weight despite it looking a little frail, right? However, here's the interesting thing. that The seat on this potty chair, contrary to my previous guesstimation, is indeed not the same size as our actual toilet seat. So gentlemen, gentlemen who poop, which is all of you, as far as I know, unless you're some sort of scientific marvel, you'll get this. Usually, when you go number two, you also go number one. Not always, but usually the case. More often than not. So as a man... Because we don't have the same luxuries, the same genetic uh, luxuries, anatomical luxuries as the ladies, you have got to tuck the junk to make the magic happen, right? Right, guys? Yes. Well, this Mini Cooper of a toilet seat is not going to allow that to happen. So bear in mind that this potty chair is also hovering about 6 to 12 inches above the actual bowl of the toilet. So at the time that I was finally going to make the poops, I didn't think I was going to have to pee as well. Well, I thought wrong. I sat down, and immediately, I knew that I was going to have to pee. So the compact version of the toilet seat on this potty chair was not going to be conducive to the junk tuck. So I'm in a pickle about my juice at this point. Because I can't really stand back up, and I can't really stand for a prolonged period of time, and even if I can, I'm going to have to try to angle my dangle to go through the potty chair seat and not make a mess all over the actual toilet because of the height difference between the two. So there's all sorts of algebraic formulas and stuff that need to go on, some sort of you know mathematical equations that need to take place for me to make sure that I'm not just going to completely wreck the bathroom, right? They didn't send me home with a hog sleeve. So I was at this very bone thugs point in time. I was at a crossroads. What do I do? How do I make this work? I wasn't about to ask my mom for help with this. Emily was at work. She was, you know, she had gone back to work. Mom had stayed to, to help me, uh, you know, through, through daily functions and things like that. But I'm not about to ask mom. I'm not about to yell through the bathroom, which, you know, uh, speaking at a large, loud volume at this point also hurts. I'm not about to holler at mom for help. Uh, you know, with this particular predicament. So I managed to use the ever so convenient arms of the potty chair to kind of, uh, you know, 
push myself up and back a bit so I could perform the junk tuck. But the task at hand, however, would be to angle it so that not only am I tucked, but I'm also angled correctly to not end up pissing all over the floor in front of me because of the height difference, right? So I fought through the discomfort and the pain of that and and was able to, I would say, 97 to 99% effectively pull it off without making too much of a mess that I couldn't manage or uh, embarrassingly, uh, you know, let mom know I kind of peed on the floor and on the toilet bowl. Anyway, I managed myself back to the initial pooping position. However, now, now I've got to sit there while I'm waiting for the number two to happen while simultaneously having my penis staring back at me the entire time. I could look away, but it's it's a situation where you know that it's just staring back at you, judging, looking at you, laughing, because it knows it has control over you and can make you feel like a complete fool. And what if, in the middle of your poop, your body decides, well, I gotta go pee again. So at this point, I am at the mercy of my own bodily functions. And I've got minimal say in this situation. I am a live wire. At any moment, I could turn into a fire hose and just douse the bathroom. Suddenly, I start thinking about when you watch people change a baby's diaper, they usually put, uh, they put like a wet wipe over the baby's dangle, right? So I think about all those times I've seen parents cover up the junk of a newborn so they don't suffer the same fate that my bathroom ceiling is now also facing. So thinking quickly, I wrap a few pieces of toilet paper around my hand and I make a, a nice uh, uh, cottonelle hat for my wiener. Problem solved. That is thinking on your feet when you're not on them. So now, if I've if I've got to pee in the middle of pooping on this VW Nug Bug, uh, at least I'm not going to hit myself or anything around me. Nor am I going to have to stare this idiot in the face while he while he sits there and mocks me. You know, everybody is one in this situation. But suddenly, panic once again rushes over me. This potty chair, right? As I said, hovers roughly six to twelve inches above the actual toilet. This spells potential danger. So what if this uh, colonic missile misses its intended target? On top of that, the splashback from this height could be devastating. But again, there's nothing I can do. I am at the complete mercy of my own bodily functions. And luckily, everything eventually legitimately fell into place, uh, for lack of a better term, with no trouble. However, here's another situation. They went over this with me during the the physical uh, and occupational therapy session. I probably wasn't going to be able to twist appropriately to finish the job, to clean up after making the poops, right? So they gave me this thing that was about as long as a pair of grilling tongs, like the, you know, the extra long ones, the good ones. And on the end of it is like this little, this little loop that's got some teeth in it. So somehow I'm supposed to wad up the toilet paper and reach around and wipe my ass with these grilling tongs. There's no way. There's no way at all this is going to work properly. Let alone, there's there's no reason I'm going to be able to claim when the literal duty is done by using this uh, non-magical poop wand. Look, I tried it. I gave it a shot. I didn't like it. So, it just, I don't know. It didn't feel like it was going to get the job done correctly. So, once again, I, I fought through the discomfort and the pain, and I found a way that I could feasibly wipe my own ass like a grown man without excruciating pain. Because I'm willing to give up some of my freedoms during this fiasco in my life, but I'm not about to revert to letting my mother or Emily wipe my ass for me. Okay? I'm not not going to do that. Not comfortable with that. Adapt and overcome. And that is exactly what I did. So, let my dump triumph inspire you for today, ladies and gentlemen. 
anyway, that's uh, it's about the long and short of this journey to this point, at least the stuff that I feel like I can make jokes about during this podcast and uh, that you probably tuned out of a long time ago. Anyway, to this point, it's been uh, eight weeks. It's been eight weeks since the accident. There were some really uh, trying days. There were a lot of tears shed. There was a lot of frustration experience. There were a couple of weeks where I had to sleep alone, which I didn't like. I had to I had to miss a, a week of a new job that I started three days before this accident happened, who, by the way, could not have been more understanding or uh, accommodating for which I'm incredibly grateful. You know, it's just it's it's like I said, it's it's not it wasn't really about the pain and the discovery. It was more about just the um, inconvenience of it all, just the overall inconvenience. But um, luckily, I think I'm back to a. Uh, damn near 100% despite some limitations and the occasional bad day as far as, you know, pain or aches or discomfort, things like that. Overall, look, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm very lucky I'm here. I'm lucky I'm still able to walk. Lucky that I found a replacement with Sabre that also has Sirius XM. In summation, at the end of the day, I'm just lucky. I'm lucky to have so many of you that follow me around and all these shenanigans that, uh, that you know, you all took a moment or, or several moments to, to drop in and check up on me. I'm just very, very grateful through through all of this. Uh, and, you know, it would take me equally as long as this episode has to this point to thank all of the people that I needed to thank and, and, and would like to thank that have helped me along the way. So I'll, I'll save a little bit more time, shave a little bit more of that off and say thank you all for everything. I am forever indebted and uh, and very, very thankful and grateful. Speaking of indebted, I'm also uh, forever indebted with medical bills. It would seem so. I'm in the process of working on official Bocephus broadcast apparel. And by that, I mean, there's probably just going to be like one T-shirt available for for purchase very soon. I mean, one style, one design of T-shirt available for purchase. I'm working on it. I got some leads. I'll keep you posted on that for sure, because uh, I'd love for you not only to purchase the shirt, but also promote the podcast. T-shirt's a great way to do that. You go on a vacation, take your Bocephus broadcast shirt with you. Wear it out. Somebody asks you what it is, pull it up on your phone. Make them listen. All right? Simple as that. You can find the latest updates on all that as it develops by following along on the Bocephus Broadcast social media channels. If you've not done so yet, be sure to give us a like at facebook.com slash Broadcast. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BoBCraft. And of course, be sure to drop a line to BoCephasBroadcast gmail.com for any of your Bocephus Broadcast needs. And lest we forget, let's make use of the Bocephus Broadcast Hotline. People, simply call 872-222-8610 and drop your message. Whether you got uh, questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, shoutouts, anything in between, dial it up, drop a message, and I'll be sure to include it in the next episode. That number again, 872-222-8610. As a matter of fact, before we get out of here, let's go ahead and check the messages for this week, shall we? Hey, babe. It's me. I'm so glad you're feeling better and you're home and your back is tip-top. Can you please put the dishes away? I love you very much. Bye. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I just want to say this. A lot of things make me mad, but one of the most uh, disturbing things that I have is I go into a grocery store. I'm trying to get my pack of smugs. I'm trying to hit the road. Just trying to get on with my day. And the bitch in front of me is playing lotto tickets like she's working the stock market she's like give me three number twos give me one of those uh, fucking christmas carolers i want two of the drum dumb guys yada 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 listen brenda get your shit get the fuck out of here it's lottery tickets 
you're going to lose your money. Throw it in the garbage. Get the fuck out of my way so I can get my smokes. By the way, I love your show. Baba Booby. Hi, I was wondering if I could get one large pepperoni pizza, hold the cheese, uh, six Parmesan garlic boneless wings, and six teriyaki wings with the bone in, extra ranch, blue cheese, and that would be for Adam. Thank you very much. Hi, Belle. This is me, Austin. We thought I got into a horrible car wreck, and and I think our new helper that we're gonna help is gonna be you, because you are really hurt. And I hope you get better soon. Bye. There you have it. I have taken up enough of your time by uh, giving you as many details as as I could regarding the last two months of my life, but we'll get back to business as usual next week. I am returning with a chat featuring one of my favorite artists at the moment, Mr. Patrick Sweeney, who has got a new album arriving very soon. For those of you that just like rock and roll with a whole lot of soul, you are going to love this guy. It's a great chat with Patrick. Um, he really, he really, uh, turned, turned this whole experience around. It was, it was good to, um, well, a, be able to get back down the stairs to the computer. Uh, but B to just have a, a good conversation with Patrick Sweeney. Uh, who definitely cheered me up on a day that that otherwise was was filled with some some pretty it was one of those days one of those discomforting days regardless i hope you'll tune in next week to have a listen that being said it's great to be back it feels good to feel good and right now i feel great and i'm looking forward to getting back in the swing of the bocephus broadcast so i am out of here we'll catch you next week you've been listening to the bocephus broadcast What you just heard was a podcast in the Poop Culture Extended Universe. For more great podcasts, make your way to www.poopculture.com.